Slob Talk Radio.
Skies in the skies broadcasting live to billions of people. Cameras on the streets tracking who we meet and call this liberty.
you're plugging yourself in where you're needed, all right? And uh, my best wishes are going out to everybody for their shoots this upcoming April 20th and 21st. We're going to have over 100 shoots from coast to coast and border to border. And that is a lot of events going on one weekend, 100 events. That's uh, uh, Nobody's ever done that before. Nobody's ever even tried. And certainly nobody has done it to honor the uh, folks who stood together in ranks on April 19, 1775, in order that we would not have to do that again, right? I don't know how many of you uh, – I know that there are people all the time that tell me that, man, they uh, they are looking forward to – uh, to defending their rights. I'm telling you, defending your rights can get awfully downright ugly and nasty, all right? And you don't want to be doing that with the uh, with the rifle. You want to be doing that with your brain, with your with your email, with your 60-second letter. Uh, you want to be making sure that the, the, the country is being run in the fashion that the founders meant for it to. I know that a lot of people talk about a living and breathing constitution. Now, certainly there are things that as a country matures or as we as human beings, as we mature, there are things that that might need to be altered. But the thoughts, the ideas the uh, behind being a free nation, these things do not need to be altered. Uh, we do not need to lose rights. Uh, as we mature, we do not need to lose rights by trying to turn uh, the documents of found the nation into a living, breathing document that can be changed uh, at will or at someone's whimsy. It's a very, very dangerous idea, folks. What we have has been working for us uh, for over 200 years. As long as we continue to maintain it and safeguard it, it will continue to work for us. So what I'm asking you to do is to ensure that you are taking a look at uh, at the things that are going on in your neck of the woods, all right? You don't have to worry right now about the things that are going on uh, all across the, the, the nation or all across the world. Right now... Just take a look at the things that are going on in your area. And uh, when we talk to folks at Apple Seeds and we tell them what their responsibilities are and where it starts, <clears throat> we always tell them that your responsibility starts. You just take your take and, uh, and stand up, stand there with your, your feet nice and tight together. And then you take your head and you look down at your feet. And that area right there where your feet are, that's where your responsibility starts, right there, your own two feet. And then you can draw a circle out uh, three feet away from there and then move your responsibility out to there and then another three feet and keep going until your area of responsibility is encompassing you, your household, your family, your community, your county, your state, and finally your nation. But it's got to start right there with you. It's got to start right there at your feet for it to do any good. And the reality is is that that the nation and the world is a pretty big place, and to try and uh, try to figure out how to fix a big problem is not that easy. It's much easier to start with a a smaller problem, right? Much easier 
to figure out how to get a thorn out of your own finger than it is trying to figure out uh, how to do uh, a heart transplant or to build the Eiffel Tower. Um, so start off locally, start off close to you, and make sure that uh, that in your area locally, you're doing the absolute best possible job at safeguarding the the freedoms and liberties that living in this nation has granted you. All right? <clears throat> so we're going to talk about uh, about the the events that are coming. Uh, if anyone wants to uh, to call in to talk about uh, to talk about the the upcoming events uh, or about what they're going to do for them, or if anybody has any requests that they'd like to get on the air, like you don't have enough. Uh, so you don't have enough instructors at a at an event, and you want to ask for some more, then uh, then go ahead and call in. And we'll see if we can't get you uh, some more instructors. Okay. So if you want to call in, uh, or if you want to talk about uh, about what you're going to do at the uh, upcoming events then that would be great, too. Also, at the beginning of the show each week, uh, we like to make sure that uh, that we give folks time to call in and thank their local crews. Everybody at Appleseed uh, is making $100,000 apiece for their employment at Appleseed, except for the top people who are making around uh, 800000 But everybody else, once you join Appleseed, you start getting a, a yearly check of $100,000. Now, you guys know that's not true, right? Everybody at Appleseed is a volunteer. Nobody gets paid anything. Uh, a good deal of the cost that you incur as an Appleseed instructor are reimbursed, but you're not getting paid anything, right? Just like uh, your parents didn't get paid anything to raise you. You're not going to get paid anything to safeguard your own freedom and liberty. So everybody at Appleseed is doing this in a volunteer basis, and uh, and that's good. That's what we want. We want Americans to volunteer to take care of themselves. And at Appleseed, we we usually ride our guys pretty hard and put them away wet. And uh, and a lot of times they don't get a whole lot of thanks. But it's uh, it's kind of like like at your job or in the military. In the military. Uh, if you uh, usually, if you just successfully carry out an attack as your order, and uh, you don't do anything extra special, you just manage to stay alive. You don't get medals for that. That's your job. You just do it. And it's the same thing with Appleseed. We're not, we we don't give a whole lot of medals out to folks for doing their jobs, but we sure want to tell everybody thanks. And uh, this is your chance to call in and tell the folks thanks. But folks that are part of your crew or folks that you work with, maybe you went to an Appleseed event and uh, and you had a good time and you learned a lot from the instructor that was teaching you. Now is the perfect time to call in and tell them thanks. Number is 347 347-308-8790. You can call in. 
and uh, put it out over the air that you appreciate what your local crew members are doing or what the instructor that taught you at Appleseed, how much you appreciate the uh, the instruction and the history, and I can guarantee you that they're gonna they're gonna appreciate hearing it. Everybody appreciates a, a pat on the back. Uh, I want to thank uh, my local crew members. I want to thank again uh, uh, Old Reliable on the forum, uh, Larry Coonrad. He is every time I open the door here, he's here. Matter of fact, he was here before. He usually opens the door for me. He's uh, here to help get the event set up. Help me get the flags up. Help me get the targets up. Uh, uh, make sure that uh, that all the uh, the carpets are put out. All the stuff that needs to be done. It's usually Larry and I at about uh, uh, 6:30 in the morning, and uh, and right there with us will be uh, uh, Bill Crump, uh, who also assists here. And uh, and I really appreciate the help of these guys. I also want to thank uh, Kirby Foster. You guys know him on the forum as Scuzzy, uh, because Kirby does a lot of. If there's anything that's uh, IT, then uh, Kirby probably had a hand in it. He's been posting uh, the shoots for folks, uh, you name it, and he's been helping to do it. He takes care of the forum as far as the IT stuff, making sure that uh, that all the nuts and bolts are kept tight. And uh, I know that there's other people that help. But Kirby's the one that I usually, uh, that whenever I call and talk to him, that's usually what he's doing. So I want to thank him. I want to thank uh, uh, Chuck Leeming uh, because Chuck is uh, he is a great guy, and he's usually he's ready to go wherever we need him here in Texas. Uh, he jump in his vehicle and go wherever we need him, and. And here in Texas, uh, wherever we need them, is usually a good long ride. There's usually no place that we go from here that's, uh, that's closer than uh, three or four hours. And uh, Chuck will usually jump in his vehicle. He usually swing by and pick up Kirby Foster and make him go too. And uh, go do events in Midland and uh, and other places. And I really appreciate uh, I really appreciate him doing that. Okay. While uh, if you guys want to call in, you're welcome to call in. But uh, I also want to talk to you guys tonight, real quick, about uh, the event that we had here at Battle Road USA uh, last week. The uh, uh, the the range here, the way that uh, we do the radio show, the way that we pay the bills and keep the lights on and everything else uh, here in order to do apple seeds, pay for maintenance and everything else, is by uh, running courses that uh, we charge for. Apple seeds are charged for. The money doesn't go to us. It goes to uh, the organization, which is a nonprofit organization. The... Uh, uh, the bills are paid here by uh, Battle Road USA. That's by us running other courses here. And uh, one of the other courses that uh, we just finished running was a uh, five-day precision rifle sniper course. And uh, the course was taught by Staff Sergeant John Hawes. Uh, and you guys on the forum know him as Bolt Gun 71. And uh, let me tell you, he did a fantastic job 
uh, running this five-day course. Uh, Staff Sergeant Hawes is a uh, veteran, a United States Army veteran of Iraq and Afghanistan. He uh, he ran scout and sniper teams there, and uh, he uh, he has a lot of experience. And then he has been teaching marksmanship for the United States Army uh, for the last uh, six or seven years, and he's been working with Appleseed, you know, do, uh, donating his time in Appleseed teaching at Appleseed events. A uh, a good instructor has to be able to run the classroom and theory part of a course just as much as the practical application part of the course. And uh, John demonstrated that uh, that he is able to do both, and he did a fantastic job. We had seven folks uh, attend this last course. And uh, we were keeping the, the course kind of small because it was the first time we were running it and we were developing the course. And uh, and like I said, it it really it really turned out well. We uh, we started off on uh, this last Monday with uh, zeroing rifles and then doing some practical drills uh, uh, with. Uh, uh, Learning to manipulate your scope and your rifle, doing some uh, some scope drills, and then uh, went into classroom on uh, setting up a rifle, then ballistics, and uh, then ended the day uh, with more rifle drills, uh, running out and getting distance, uh, getting data out to distance, and uh, and each day, uh, each day was packed solid from uh, about 7.45 until 5 or 6 with nonstop data. Uh, one of the things I really enjoyed about uh, about John's teaching style is that, uh, is that there weren't a lot of 15 or 20 minute breaks. Uh, I've been to courses before where I don't know if the if the instructors didn't have enough stuff to teach or if they I don't know what the deal was, but I know that we spent a good hour and a half to two hours of the eight hour day in breaks and uh with the instructor just BS and stuff like that. Uh, John didn't do that. And we had uh had some quick uh, five minute breaks uh, about uh two or three times during the day and the rest of the time was packed solid with instruction. You were either you were either in a classroom learning about uh, the uh, shooting or shooting theory, or you were actually shooting. Uh, I've got, and tonight I've asked uh, some of the folks who participated in the event to call in, and uh, I'm going to bring them on the lines with us right now. I've got, uh, uh, you guys remember JB, Junior Birdman? Uh, Junior Birdman came and was on uh attended the course. He came over from Alabama and attended the course. And uh, I asked him to call in tonight, too, to talk about the event. Uh, JB, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you, Scout. Good to be here. Uh, I saw that you were on hold the last few minutes when I was talking, so you heard uh, you heard what I was saying. And, uh, and 
you're not you're certainly not a novice to shooting. You were a master instructor with the Appleseed Project, and you've been shooting all of your life. And uh, and and you're certainly a much better shot than I am. What did you think about uh, about the last five days? I mean, well, I'd say the last five days, the five days of the course. Well, uh, if you uh, if you take the feeling that you have when you finish an apple seed and multiply that times about ten, it was like that. It was just absolutely fantastic. Good people, uh, good camaraderie, great instruction. Uh, as you said, uh, John is a fantastic instructor. His credentials are absolutely unassailable, and uh, he knows he knows what he's talking about, and he knows how to uh, convey that knowledge to to students. And uh, like I say, I'm, I'm not new to it. I don't think anybody there was was new to shooting. Um, everybody had been shooting for at least some time. But uh, if you've been to an apple seed, you know that that you pick up things in percentages. You pick up a two percent increase in your score here and a three percent there just by applying, you know, the little things that that you're taught. And it was the same here. There were there were little things that uh, some of them I'd even forgotten. And it was kind of a wake-up, oh, yeah, I remember that. Just got to get back into the habit of doing it. And then other things like, uh, like hand placement or, or things like that, that they, they all add up in, in 2 and 3% increments until uh, eventually, you know, you're, you're, you're scoring very well. And everybody there right. did very well. Um, one thing I wanted to point out was uh, I, there were a couple of guys with, with the crew with, that came over with me um, they weren't shooting big bull-barreled, uh, you know, expensive custom-built rifles. And I, I guess if, if you wanted to classify their rifles, they were souped-up deer rifles. And um, those guys shot right out there to, you know, the entire distance and shot very well and shot the qualifications and, and, and learned a lot. So uh, in the future... Uh, anybody who's thinks they're hampered by not having a you know two or three thousand dollar rifle to bring to the thing, don't worry about it. You know, bring what you got and you'll learn. It's it's good stuff. Right, and you know, I think you're you're really you're really spot on when you're talking about learning in increments and stuff like that. And just in the same way that when you go to an apple seed, you uh, now if you're brand new, <laughs> you certainly learn a lot. But but I tell you what is even better. To me, uh, is when you go to an apple seed and you have some history of shooting. What you learn at the apple seed is a way to tie everything together. You've got like this big bag of loose parts, and an apple seed will help you assemble the machine out of the loose parts. And this, yeah. to me, was a, a lot, a lot much, uh, much like the same fashion. Which is, <clears throat> if you you have some experience, or you have some knowledge of wind and uh, and making scope adjustments and understanding how to do uh, target identification or or uh, uh, target distancing and stuff like that. You have some idea of it, but this helps you put to, put it together in a very seamless way. It helps you to understand uh, gauging distance, gauging wind, uh, and then using the tools that you have available to you to make the shot. Uh, I'm in on, uh, let's see, on boy, Wednesday, wasn't it? Wednesday we did the uh, the classroom. Did we 
with you that classroom Wednesday morning. Right. Mm-hmm. I'm not I on that's right. range estimation. Yeah. Yeah, range estimation. We had a, we had a really great class on range estimation Wednesday morning, and a very detailed course. Not just in uh, it was in all of the methods for you to uh, to estimate range and to get correct range, and then. Uh, including how to use uh, your mill-dot scopes, how to use your, your reticle, uh, all of the uh, the mathematical uh, theory behind it. And uh, and then we went straight out to uh, part of the range and and did practical exercises on it. This was uh, getting distance uh, all the way out to, I don't know, I guess it was uh, six or 700 meters, getting distance out to it. And... This wasn't. Uh, it wasn't a. You couldn't just uh, ballpark guess. You had to be uh, at a very close percentage to the range, uh, and uh, and then once we had done that, then we went straight over and started shooting out to distance. So it was. Uh, it was. I thought it was a really great way getting the the information and then putting it to use. Uh, one stepping stone to the nut to the next stepping stone to the next right. stepping stone. Right. And it's typical crawl, walk, run type instruction. And as you said earlier, there there, there wasn't a lot of slack time. There was no slack time. And we, we went straight from the classroom to the outdoor classroom and, and actually put those, applied those principles, those techniques that we had learned. And everybody was pretty surprised, I think, at how well they did. And it just got better. The more it's like every, anything else. The more you practice, the better you get. And we got better during the week. There was constant querying. Uh, John was constantly uh, asking us, "What's the wind now? How would you apply that? You know, what what are you going to do about this wind? How far is that target?" And it was it was a constant quizzing and a constant exercise of the mind, which is what it takes to get it hammered in there. And, uh, and and make it useful information, something that, you know, I could go out right now. I could go out six months from now. I can use it. Yeah, and uh, I was really surprised, too, at uh, – at, now, you can, you, can, you can be in the classroom doing the, 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 uh, the exercises on it and doing the mathematics and stuff, and uh, – and, and it's still, you know, when you get out to the range and you start and you do the mathematics and, you know, you run your equation and then you make the shot and bang, it's on. It's like uh, the, the magic really works, you know. Right. It, it, it really works exactly <laughs> That's exactly like, the reaction uh, you get to it. Wow, this stuff yeah. really works. It really works. It's, uh, you know, making uh, making a little tiny uh, projectile uh, travel, uh, uh, you know, uh, 600 uh, meters plus. And uh, and pounding the target, uh, it, it's not uh, it's not magic, you know. It's a doable thing. Yep. Okay, I've got uh, I've got uh, uh, Sergeant Hawes on the line, and I'm going to bring him on with us. Uh, John, welcome to the show. John, can you hear me? Yes, yes. How you doing? Uh, welcome to welcome to the show. I, I'm doing great. Uh, uh, first off, uh, just uh, tell us. Uh, Tell the folks a little bit, well, a little bit about yourself. Just a quick uh, bio of, of of how you got to, to where you are today to teaching. Uh, yeah, not a problem. Well, I grew up in a 
small country town in New York and got into competition shooting when I was 15. And I was basically mentored by a bunch of old military vets that were shooting M1 Garands. And uh, that was my start on the competition trail. And I grew up shooting NRA high power and sporter rifle in New York and dabbled a little bit in bullseye pistol, even though I didn't do very well at it. But uh, I stuck with it and practiced and joined the Army when I was 18. And a year into the Army, I got the opportunity to go to sniper school. Um, went to sniper school. Uh, at the time, I was deployed to Iraq, so it actually sent me home from that. Graduated sniper school, went back to Iraq, finished the deployment, um, came back home from Iraq once the deployment was over with, transferred to a new unit that was starting up a brand-new sniper section, deployed them to Afghanistan, came back from Afghanistan after 16 months, took a new job in South Carolina, where while I was in South Carolina, that's when I got involved with Appleseed in March of 2008, Attended my first apple seed. Um, three months later, I took a orange hat uh, all at Tacoa, Georgia. And then uh, at the same time in South Carolina, I got a job as a an advanced rifle marksmanship instructor at Fort Jackson, teaching for a course called Combat Applications Training Course. Um, that dealt with the M16s and the M4s. Did that for about a year and attended a couple other sniper courses and shooting courses at the time, uh, Blackwater sniper courses. Um, I did the SDM course, Squad Designated Marksman, the Close Quarter Marksman courses for the Army, and then just continued to do a lot with Appleseed. You know, all the while shooting competition when I got the chance. Got out of active duty to go to college in 2009, and since then I've... Got a bunch of credentials at the NRA, teaching precision rifle for the law enforcement division, uh, the basic rifle on the civilian side. I've attended a few other sniper courses since then, and uh, along with various other shooting courses, uh, both rifle and pistol, and shooting competition whenever I get the chance. And uh, here I am today. Wow. And uh, I want to tell you how much I appreciate uh, you teaching this course and uh and uh, what an absolutely fantastic job I think you did at it. And uh, uh, the the five-day course, and I want to let folks know real quick that uh, that this uh, this course this last week was one that uh, uh, that John had been working on for a while, and then he applied it. <clears throat> we ran through it. This is the first ever Battle Road USA precision rifle course and uh we ran through it and we ran it out and uh, and it may need uh just some the tiniest amount of tweaking here and there but it actually was uh, a really well thought out course and we're going to run it again in November so we'll be running this course again in November and uh, and it won't be just this 5 day the 5 day precision rifle sniper course uh, we haven't figured out where we're going to put it yet, the beginning or the end of the course, but we're also going to tack on, uh, a, it'll be a separate course, but uh, you're, you're invited to take one or either or both. There'll be a combat carbine course that will be added on. And, uh, John, you were te- you've been teaching uh, combat carbine for the military for quite a while, right? 
Yes, uh, since 2000. I know, I know it's not called that, but. Yeah, yeah since 2008, I've been teaching, you know, various types of carbine courses or, you know, running zero ranges and teaching in the Army what we call uh, PMI, uh, Primary Marksmanship Instruction, which is essentially what you teach at an apple seed, you know, but we go into more in-depth on the rifle setup and uh, the optics. You know, just because in the Army everybody's got the same stuff typically. So it's unlike an apple seed where anything can show up and it's welcome on the line. You know, we get to give in-depth classes on the rifles because everybody's got an M16 or an M4. Okay. And uh, so we'll be running the uh, we'll be running the carbine course. Well, either like I said, we haven't decided yet whether it'll be at the beginning before the the precision rifle course or after. But it, it will be one one side or the other. It'll be there. And uh, and we'll get the dates. The, we'll have the dates ironed out uh, probably in the next week or so, and uh, we'll put that up on the website battleroadusa.com, and then you guys can start signing up for it. Which I would uh, I would urge you to do uh, as soon as possible because uh, the the course is going to be limited the number of attendees and. Uh, so it's it's not going to be a it's not going to be a big course and uh, it's probably going to fill up fairly quickly. So as soon as we get the uh, uh, the date set, I'll put out another letter and let folks know, and then uh, then the course will be running in November. Uh, what did what did you think about uh, about the course and the uh, and the folks who attended, John? I thought the course went great, and the students, you know, they all improved. You know, dramatically throughout the week, you know, everybody showed up, you know, with some level of experience. You know, there's no newbies on the line, and that really helped things to take off, you know, at a good start. You know, I didn't have to go in-depth into, you know, grouping and sight adjustments. Everybody had that kind of background. But uh, we got everybody out there. The first day was, you know, primarily instruction in the morning on the rifle setup, uh, positions, uh, mainly prone position for the first day. We went out, we did grouping and zeroing. Uh, we did some drills that tested our optics. Uh, I think gave the students a lot of confidence in our equipment. Everybody did really well. And then from there, we uh, broke for lunch, had a class on ballistics after lunch, and then went out and got our zeros on our rifles out to 600 yards. And that first day, shooting the 600 yards, one of our students, Kim, actually you know, applied everything perfectly and shot a, <laughs> a three-shot, one-inch center-to-center group at 600 yards. You know, multiple witnesses. We got pictures with the target. You know, she just did phenomenal. And, you know, yeah. you believe that three-shot, one-inch group at 600 yards. You know, yeah, but, well, we do have pictures of it. <laughs> <laughs> that we do. And uh, that wrapped up the first day. And, uh, you know, it's kind of like, the apple seed, you know, drank with the fire hose. I threw a lot of info at him that first day. Showed up the next day, and it was a known distance day where we took the zeros that we gathered the first day, added in some alternate positions uh, similar to what apple seed teaches in the AQT, except this time everybody's doing them with, uh, you know, their long-range precision rifles with high-powered scopes, some of them with really heavy barrels. And we shot alternate positions back to 300 and then from 400 to 600, uh, prone off the bipod, 
on a 30-shot qualification course with the precision rifles. Uh, everybody did really well on that. And we started tracking our cold bore data, which is an exercise that we continue to track throughout the week. So, you know, the most important shot for a lot of precision riflemen is that first shot. You know, lots of times it's the only shot you're going to get, you know, on game or shooting a target and trying to look good in front of your friends. You know, that's the most important shot. So everybody learned, you know, where that first round impacts. Uh, we learned some rapid bolt manipulation, did some drills for that. So it's, you know, we're not admiring the shot, but, you know, regardless of where that first shot goes, whether it's on target or not, we're ready to back it up with a second shot if needed. Right, and what you said was was very important and uh, about the cold board data and about your first shot. Uh, and I had, uh, you know, you everybody knows this or everybody has seen it, but you just don't think about it that much, and that is that, uh, that, when you have uh, like a law enforcement officer or in the military, if you're a if you're a, uh, a sniper or if you're a hunter and you've got your sights on your deer, you don't get to walk the rounds in. I mean, it's that first round that you fire. That's the round that has to hit. It's you can't uh, you don't get the do overs. It's got to be the first round that, that that comes in and hits. So knowing where your where your first round is going to come out because it's not always it's not always the same as the follow-on round. So knowing where the first round is going to come out is a very important thing. And, and it's one of the things that I didn't think about that much, but knowing your the, the data for your cold bore is very important. And we uh, we got that data at shooting at very small targets, you know, because you're not going to notice it shooting at a big target. So it was kind of the aim small, miss small principle. And we, Continued that throughout the week, and I think everybody left with really good data for their cold bore. Then, right. Uh, and Wednesday rolled around, and Wednesday uh, we got off the known distance shooting and got into the unknown distance. We started off with the class on range estimation. Uh, that went really well. We came out and immediately went into a range estimation exercise with no shooting involved, but where the students got to range estimate with their eyes and then range estimate with their rifle scopes at a varying targets, and they had to be within 15% of the actual distance of their eyes and 5% of the actual distance with their scopes. And that was eye-opening for a lot of the students, and they all improved. You know, the more we did it, the better they got. You know, we had some of the students that, you know, by the end with their scopes, were getting the ranges dead on, and this is a you know, target... 520 yards away, you know, they'd get it, you know, to the yard sometimes. You know, many of them were easily getting it within the 5%. You know, they, they didn't start out that way, but after just a couple attempts, you know, they were there. And just the more they looked at the scope, the better they got. Right. And range estimation is one of the most important things you're going to do as a shooter because because that's going to – the range is going to determine – uh, what settings you put on your rifle or where you hold off, uh, you have to know what range you're shooting at. And whenever you're with, uh, when you're shooting with apple seed and stuff like that, you know you're at the 25 meter, and uh, and you're, that's where you're that's where you're shooting, and that's where all your data is. <clears throat> and then if you go over to the actual distance uh, on Sundays and you shoot an actual distance AQT, you you have the range there. You know you're going to be shooting at 100, 200, 300, 400. So you've got your data there. However, 
you know, out in the real world, unless you're shooting on a range and you have it graduated real well and the deer pops up at the $400 400-meter uh, target line, you've got that, that target uh, number right beside it, you're not going to know what the distance is to make your shot. You're going to have to figure out the range. And, uh, and learning to do that, I thought, was a fantastic skill that you had us develop. Mm-hmm. And everyone said, everybody did really well. I said, and that was that didn't require any shooting for that exercise. You know, they were using their rifles. They just removed the bolts. They just practiced, you know, using their optics. After that, we moved up to the unknown distance range, at which we had multiple steel targets that varied in distance from approximately 120 yards, I think was about the closest, out to just about uh, 660 yards, I think was the farthest. You know, and everything in between. And the students all had to pair up and range estimate with their optics. And based off the zeros that they had from shooting known distance the previous two days, come up with whatever they thought their proper scope adjustment would be to engage each target. And they got two rounds to engage the steel targets. And the steel targets were of varying sizes at different distances. And they got a first round hit was scored as 10 points. The second round hit was worth five points. After that, there was nothing, you know. Very few times in life, you know, while you're hunting or in a military law enforcement environment, are you going to get an opportunity to shoot at a target, you know, more than a couple rounds before they move on. So it teaches you to make those shots count and to trust those scope settings that you're dialing in based off the zeros that you got from shooting at the known distance range. And everybody did really well. Uh, With that, there was a possible 100 points and 10 targets, Yeah. The passing score was a 70, and that's exactly what our lowest shooter shot. You know, shot a 70% uh, one shooter. Our highest shooter was a 95%. So that was fantastic. You know, and that was applying everything that we learned throughout the day in the classroom, to practicing it uh, without the live fire, then moving to the live fire distance. And so that went really well. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, I, I was uh, uh, JB. He's on the line with us. JB, you're still there, right? Yes, sir. Okay. Well, listen. Jump in and jump in anywhere you you can find a, a half inch gap. Uh, <laughs> we uh, <laughs> like what JB and I were talking about earlier. You know, there was there was a, a pretty wide range of shooting abilities from the folks who showed up. Now, nobody was a, a novice. Nobody was a newbie. But there was a pretty wide range in the abilities. But but everyone, and, and I think this had a lot to do with your your teaching ability, John, is that uh, you made the you your instruction was clear enough and precise enough that uh, everybody stayed on track. They were able to uh, they were able to get to grasp the concepts and then able to apply them. And mm-hmm. uh, and I, I was uh, I think I was telling JP a while ago that I was. Uh, you know, you can talk about it in the classroom, and uh, and then you can practice it. But then uh, to actually uh, put the data on and and to make a, a 600 uh, 600 yard uh, cold shot is a is a different it's a different thing. And to mm-hmm. to know that that uh, you know to, to have that ability now, I think it's a it's a great skill to have. I agree. Um, yeah, we took. You know, all that experience that we're building up in the first three days to the fourth day on Thursday, 
where we continued to shoot unknown distance targets, but now we added in some barricades and different types of cover to shoot from. And Battle Road USA has a fantastic uh, training wall of, there's a wall I'm guessing it's about 40 feet long. At it's every, it's like, 55 feet. 55 feet, okay. 55 Off feet. my range estimation there. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it's 55 feet, and it's about every five feet or so is a different type of, you know, cover to shoot from, whether it's chain-link fence, a uh, stack of tires, a door, you know, shooting underneath a wall, uh, some slits cut into a side of a fence, you know, various types. So it gives you from, in a short span, you know, only 55 feet, you get to practice shooting multiple different alternate positions. And uh, you, you get a lot of experience that way. You know, 55-gallon drum, shooting from inside of a tunnel. Uh, it's a really well-thought-out wall. And excellent, so we, excellent wall. I tell you, I... I would never have thought that I would have walked away from that course being able to camp my rifle. This is a precision rifle, camp it 45 degrees, and hit a target, you know, center 300 yards away. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I, I have that kind of confidence now, just having run the drills and done the training. Yeah, everybody right. shot really well from that, and we included, you know, like JV's talking about, you know, sideways prone, which, you know, seems really awkward and, impractical, uh, but I got it from the law enforcement side, where it's every now and then, you know, the police are having to take a shot from underneath a car that they're using for cover and concealment, and, you know, they can't lay in your standard prone behind the car, depending on how low it is. They have to turn the rifle sideways. Well, there's, you know, a method and a rule of thumb that the students can apply to be able to accurately make those shots, and everybody did. Everybody did really well. You know, so that's just one one of the positions that we covered. And uh, we shot that throughout the morning, and then in the afternoon, we did a big uh, stress shoot that, uh, you know, we're, it took a little longer than I'd expected, and this is one thing I'd tweak for the, you know, upcoming November course, but then it ended up being a, a 20 to 30-minute drill per shooter of where they moved downrange for a distance about 350 yards and about every 50 yards or so was a new shooting position. And they had ran from one station to the next, and they engaged steel targets, and they couldn't advance to the next position until they engaged all their targets and, and had scored hits. So it was a total of 18 different firing stations or positions, you know, over the course of 350 yards. You know, if they shot really well, they could do it in 18 rounds. Um, or, you know, it could go all the way up to you know, 40, 50 rounds, whatever it took to hit the targets. But, you know, you didn't advance until you hit them. You know, that included nine different positions at the wall. And everybody did really well. That started out, uh, some of the shots were up to 600 yards away, you know, up to as close as about 140. You know, once again, targets of varying size, unknown distance, you know, and I'm making them run, shoot from different positions, different cover concealment, some of it standing shots, kneeling shots that they could barely see the target from. You know, it really pushed the shooters, but uh, the feedback was great. That they loved it. You know, oh, that everybody was, that really was fantastic. Well. That was probably my favorite part. It, the, the most, uh, the most grueling, but it was probably my favorite part. And it was, it was because it combined everything that we had done for the last few days. Everything from you know positions to bolt manipulation, ranging, uh, everything, all, all wound into one tight little ball there. And that was. For me, I think it took me 24 minutes to run through the thing 
but it was 24 minutes of fun. It was absolutely fantastic. And when you finished, the confidence that you had in your equipment and the confidence you had in your ability was unbelievable. Absolutely unbelievable. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna sell, say my time over the air, uh, and I'm not gonna talk about the fact that we had to bring a, a front end loader in to scrape away the brass at the positions so that the next person can shoot. <laughs> but I will tell you this: that uh, it is a real eye opener because John only had us moving. Uh, I think the total was only uh, 300 or 350 yards that we moved. Yeah, 350 yards. We basically started out at the 600 yard line and moved up to. 250-yard line, so it was only 350 yards of movement. Right. Only 350 yards of movement, but but I'm telling you that uh, going from one position to the next, now, one of the positions was uh, it was inside a big steel uh, grain bin that was laying on its side, and the the uh, the place where you fill the grain bin just happened to be right at shooting level, so that would uh, pop open, and you could take your shot from inside the grain bin uh, we had a couple of other uh, positions along the way, and then you ended up on the shooting wall, shooting down the, the shooting on the shooting wall at the targets. But I'm telling you, just even though you're moving just 350 uh, yards, it was still very stressful and it took a long time. And you imagine an engagement where you're where you're having to move, uh, you know, 800 meters or or two kilometers. I'm telling you, man, it would it would beat you to death in uh, trying to do this, and then also trying to make sure that you're staying on top of your game because you can't. It's not just a squeezing the trigger game. It's not just a looking in at the at the target through the scope and squeezing the trigger game. It's a, it's it's just as much a mental game of knowing. Number one, you have to you have to convince yourself you can make the shot, and then two, you have to figure out what the shot is. You got to figure out what distance am I shooting at. And they either dial that in, or you do your hold off, and then, uh, then like JB was saying earlier, all through the course, every day, all through the course, John would turn around and say, "What's the wind? What's the wind? Tell me what the wind is." And uh, you had to know, you had to learn to be able to gauge the wind instantly to tell what the wind was going to be, which direction it was coming from, uh, how, what the strength of the wind, whether it was a full value wind, a zero value, a quarter or half value wind and how you would apply that to your rifle. So you've got to take these shots. But like I said, you're not just looking in there, getting the target centered, and squeezing the trigger. You've got to figure out what your shot is, the distance. What's my holdover? What's my hold off? Or what and what, what am I dialing in to, uh, to accommodate the wind, et cetera? So there's a lot of – it's just as much a mental thing as a physical thing to make these shots, and especially if it's – you're under the stress of time. Now, nobody was shooting back at us, but but we were having to run from one position to the next and and hit the ground. And, you know, and John was, uh, he's, you know, he's giving you encouragement. You know, come on, let's go, let's go, let's make the shot. And uh, so there was that stress. But I thought that was a, I thought that was really a fantastic uh, uh, exercise. And I don't think, I, I wouldn't, I don't know that I would change the length of it. We just talked about splitting it up so that you're taking a uh, an attendee over and running them through that while the rest of the folks were doing some of the other drills on another range. Right. And uh, and that ended up going really well, taking all afternoon on Thursday. Then we, we broke for dinner, and then that night, Thursday night, we did a low-light shoot, 
which is more of a test of our optics and being able to identify a target and seeing how long past official sunset, how well our optics were at gathering light, being able to clearly identify a target, and then engaging and seeing how accurate we could actually shoot, you know, in those low-light conditions. And that was a good learning experience. Then once all the light was gone, we actually did a, a nifl-point aim exercise, and that wrapped up Thursday. And then Friday, uh, we kind of slowed things back down a little bit. I call it my back-to-basics day, where we went back into some of the drills we practiced throughout the week. Uh, everybody got another crack at the known distance qualification that we fired on Tuesday. We did some uh, rapid bolt manipulation drills. We did a, a cold bore sh- shot at about 550 yards, you know, where the students, you know, this is kind of a, a test of everything did throughout the week. It was range estimate to a target, adjust the scope, and fire that, you know, the first round of the day, that one cold bore shot. Never did really well. You know, and it was only on a, a 20 by 20 inch square. And then, uh, we went through, and we one of the other courses that I covered, uh, class that I covered, sorry, was on short-range marksmanship. And it's an overlooked you know, facet of precision rifle shooting that we take for granted. You know, we all get our heavy-barreled long-range rifle with a big 14-power scope and bull barrel, and sometimes we're faced with a target, whether it's in the field hunting or in the military or law enforcement side, you know, being surprised by something at close range where we got to take a 25-yard shot, a 50-yard shot. And we practiced those shots uh, from various positions, including prone, and learned, you know, where the different sight sentences were, you know, how a 200-yard zero with a scope 308 typically equates to a 50-yard uh, zero. You know, and then where to hold off uh, high or low at the varying distances, you know, 100 yards and in. So we did that and then uh, ended up wrapping up the day with, a shoot called the walk back, which is an offhand competition where the students eliminated each other uh, one at a time, moving back 50 in 50 yard increments, taking an offhand shot with their precision rifle you know, on a small steel target. And we had uh, a couple shooters make it to the 350 yard mark, shooting once again a 20 inch target offhand with uh, you know, quite heavy, you know, precision rifles. And that was. Yeah, I think a couple of them were using slings for support. Some of them didn't, but uh, everybody did really well. And then we broke class and uh, had an after-action review, gave out certificates, and uh, wrapped up a, a really good five days of training. Right, and uh, and that was a uh, I thought that was a great section. The uh, the close in, because like you said, most people. Uh, I mean, you were talking about this during your. Uh, the instruction is it's a lot of people when you ask me say well what happened you you come at, you're you're moving with your your scoped uh, precision rifle and a target comes up at 25 or 50 meters or something like that what are you going to do and the people say well I'll just transition to my pistol I just whip that pistol out and start blasting away and of course and of course the obvious question that people don't think about is why why would you do that. You've got a you've got a uh, you know a centerfire uh, rifle right there in your hand. Which is going to be quicker, raising the barrel up and engaging the target, or dropping that down, grabbing getting your pistol, clearing the clearing your uh, your holster and beginning to fire. <clears throat> and the uh, the drills that we did with that, 
thought were really, really good drills, the, the close-in work and stuff like that. And uh, and you put a lot of pressure on the folks to, to make the drills by uh, by uh, surprising them with the command to fire or uh, I think the last one, <laughs> the last one, you gave the command to fire while uh, before everybody had loaded, and, uh, and I knew the, I knew what you were doing, but I remember at the end of it, uh, Jimmy said, "Hey, you didn't tell us to load." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, and it was uh, it was a really good a really good drill because what he would do is uh, he would he would yell out the target, and uh, and you would to, you were to engage it. The first round, you'd bring your rifle up uh, uh, unsupported and standing, pop a round off. In the second round, you'd have to uh, quickly hit your hit, hit a uh, knee and take that. And the third round had to be in prone, and it had to it had to impact the uh, the bridge of the nose or the point of the nose. And uh, and this is all having to be done very rapidly. And it's a great drill, and and one that uh, and one that you know, you can do, you can very easily do yourself. I don't know if you can do it at, at your own range. You know, a lot of ranges don't let you do a lot of stuff that's not sitting at the bench and shooting. But if you can, this is something you should be, uh, you should be trying to work at uh, there at whenever you can. Also, the, uh, I wanted to, to I know that uh, JB has said it and you were talking about it, but I want to, uh, to reinforce what I thought uh, that how we would start out several of the mornings was with the getting the cold board data and doing the rapid bolt manip- manipulation drill. Uh, that's uh, that was firing the uh, the first four rounds into the what is the size of that that diameter? It, it was like four centimeters, so about an inch and a half approximately. Okay. All right. So you need you would have to put uh, four rounds into the uh, uh, the first. Uh, uh, center target, and then you had uh, was it ninety seconds? Uh, no, remaining forty-five. Okay, I thought that seemed like an awful long time. Forty-five seconds to fire at uh, three additional targets. You had to have the same accuracy, but uh, three additional targets, two rounds in each one, and. Uh, and that was another great drill. First, uh, like you said, getting that cold bore data, and then doing the rapid bolt manipulation drill. And there was another drill that uh, we did, which was the uh, checking the optics drill, where you were firing, you'd make an adjustment of your sights, and then fire again, make another adjustment of sights, and fire. So that at the end, you had uh, the uh, two rounds in the very center of the target, and then you had one round on the corner of each sheet of paper. And all you were doing, you weren't changing your aiming point. It was just uh, showing you what the manipulation of the uh, of the sights was doing. And uh, I thought that was a fantastic drill, too. Yeah. And uh, I was surprised. There was one of the scopes on the line that I'd had some bad experiences with, you know, the brand at Appleseed before, and I didn't have high hopes for it. And I got surprised myself that the scope tracked flawlessly. You know, and that, that was good for the shooter and good for myself it, you know, it gave some credibility to that brand and, you know, my eyes again. And it was, everybody did really well. Well, I was very, very happy uh, with the course. Now, there, was, you know, there are things that, uh, I know you said you would talk about uh, uh, adjusting uh, the stress drill. 
Is there anything else that uh, that you might add or subtract in the course in November, the upcoming course? Well, in November we'll do more of the stress shoots. On the, we'll probably maintain, like you said, the length of the one that we did on Thursday. But uh, at the same time, the students that are you know in queue that are waiting to do that drill will be running shorter stress drills elsewhere on the property. The great thing about Battle Road down here in Texas is there's multiple bays and berms across the property that you know we can be shooting in multiple locations. And uh, now that we've got you know another Battle Road staff member as a graduate of the first Precision Rifle course, you know it's we'll be able to have multiple cadre members now running drills simultaneously. Okay. And then, uh, like I said, we'll be having the the uh, uh, combat carving course will be attached either at the beginning or end yet. Like I said, we haven't we haven't quite worked that out yet, but we'll work it out before uh, uh, before this next week, and then we'll put the dates up uh, on the website. <clears throat> did you uh, did you have anything you wanted to put in, JB? No, I thought that pretty well summed it up. That's a, a good recap of what happened, and, and anybody that's interested, it should give them a really good idea of, of uh, what to expect. I can only envision the thing getting better and better. It was it was more fun than I could imagine it would be, and I learned an incredible amount of stuff. And like I say, in the end, I have so much confidence in my equipment and in my ability um, that it's it's well worth it. If you even think you might want to attend this sort of thing, check it out. It's it's a fantastic course. One thing I didn't mention that didn't have anything to do with the shooting is that uh, we also gave everybody the opportunity to to shoot in uh, in different weather conditions, all the way from uh, from nice, clear, sunny, warm uh, shooting, all the way down to my hands are, are have lost most of the feeling in the right. and wet rainy you know, condition. You know, it's always been uh, even with Appleseed. If it's not raining, we're not training. So uh, that held true. We had <laughs> plenty of cold and wet and hot and sunny. And uh, uh, part of the camp got blown away one night. We saw uh, some tornadic activity, and uh, so it was great. It was it was it was real world. That's, that's and right. Around, all the students was great. <laughs> <laughs> that was that, and that did surprise me too, because uh, uh, because we had uh, well, we got Jimmy here too. I'm going to bring Jimmy on the line here too. We had uh, uh, at the end of the day, uh, when was it? I think it was uh, Tuesday or Wednesday. Tuesday, yeah, Tuesday. Tuesday. And at the end of the day, we had uh, uh, everybody came back to camp, and and. Poor Jimmy and Dave, their camp was gone. Uh, it had just disappeared in the uh, the semi-tornado winds and stuff. And uh, everybody was soaking wet. And we had uh, we had a little bit of animal and insect uh, activity going on. We had quite a few snakes in camp. We had uh, JB uh, managed to share the outhouse with the... Uh, with a nice big copper head, and uh, him, him showed up uh, for dinner, I think one evening, with a uh, scorpion on her forehead, and <laughs> she didn't know it was there. So we had, we had, uh, we had a bunch of, of interesting uh, stuff going on. Uh, Never bring, uh, 
Let me bring Jimmy on the line. Jimmy, you there? Hey, boss. What are you up to? Hey, Jimmy. Thanks for calling in. Jimmy was uh, at the uh, uh, at the course also. Jimmy is uh, uh, Jimmy Desert Eagle from uh, New Mexico, and uh, he attended the course. He and uh, Dave Partain were here also. And Jimmy, did you think that you learned anything, or was it a waste of money and time? Oh. <laughs> uh, Dave and I talked about it, and our learning experience started about three minutes after John started talking, and uh, never stopped. Um, I'm glad you brought up the box drill, because uh, as I had talked to John before, that has always been one of my uh, nemesis is dialing in ranges and stuff and the first day what do we do we go through a box drill and when we get done with it my groups are right back where they should have been so uh john john just started off right you know it was jumping from the frying pan into the fire and then we all walked on coals by the time it was over with that is of course between rainstorms so and everything has dried out (laughs) well and uh and everybody's shooting was amazing uh, at the end of the course. I was just I was very happy with uh, with how well everyone did, and uh, I was extremely happy, John, with the instruction uh, that you provided. And uh, and uh, I'll tell you guys too that uh, it was uh, it was very important to have somebody that's instructing you that that. That is not just a, a theoretical shooter or or somebody that's been uh, that's been shooting on the bench and stuff like that. Uh, like I said previously, John is uh, is a veteran shooter. He's been shooting all his life, and then he did uh, he's been through all of the schools to do it. And then he he used his skills and practical application for the United States military. So he's he's used his skills in. Uh, and all of the ways that they need to be used and learn them, and he's able to teach them to you the practical sides of it too. You know, what happens when you're trying to make a shot uh, in low light uh, and all you have is a part of a boulder uh, to steady your rifle? Well, he's done that, so he can tell you uh, the best way to do that. So having John uh, as an instructor was, was absolutely priceless. Well, it was uh, the... Junior Birdman and I were talking about it, I think, uh, Wednesday. And um, it was amazing. All this stuff that we, as a class, had been reading and studying and making notes of and trying to figure out on our own, John has got that unique ability to take the complex and make it understandable. And took all this information that we've been reading for years and show us how it works, why it works, and um, he's he's probably the finest instructor I've ever seen as far as getting a point across and building your confidence at the same time. The 600-yard shots just it 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 you know it, it's not sitting there reading in a book and saying okay if I do this that or something else this should work. It's John saying okay if you do this that and something else you're going to hit the target and we did. So. It was it was one of the most phenomenal confidence building weeks I think I've ever had in my life. Right now, and we had uh, the ability to shoot out to 600. We could have expanded it, but uh, 
the ability to shoot up to 600. And uh, and John explained that uh, that you know the that 600 is uh, is is no there's no different past 600 other than than the math is different and uh mm-hmm. so uh so i i feel very confident in my abilities and uh and i really appreciate uh having the chance to go through that stage of course and the one thing about shooting out to 600 is we saw tying in like the range estimation that you know at 300 and in you can be off by 40, 50 yards, and then depending on the size of your target, still score a hit, you know, a little high, a little low. It's, you know, your range estimation mistakes are forgiven at close range, depending on the size of the target. But at longer ranges, out to 600, you know, you get between four to 600 in particular, a 20 to 30-yard um, error in your range estimation is a complete miss on even some of the larger targets. So it really it's tying in the unknown distance and range estimation ability you know, some people are like, ah, oh, 500, 600, well, that's not 1,000. Well, when you're range estimating in a field condition, you know, the wind's blowing, the rain's on you, and there's this small steel target out there, you don't know the distance, and you only got two shots to hit it with, you know, preferably on the first, and you've got to be within 20 to 30 yards of your actual distance to, you know, score a hit. You know, it's not easy. And, you know, you see how all those things add up together, and the students have graded applying it. Right. Well, listen. Uh, I want to. Uh, I want to thank you guys all for calling in, John. I want to thank you for teaching a great course, and I really look forward to the coming upcoming course in November. I want to tell everybody again: uh, if you have any interest in taking the course, then be sure and let me know as soon as possible because uh, the course is going to be held to. Uh, not much more than we did this time. Uh, seven folks. It may be we may run it out to ten or more, but uh, but it's still going to be a fairly small course. So you got to let me know as soon as possible that you're coming, so that we can uh, uh, we can hold your place in it. And like I said, there'll be a carving course, a combat carving course, uh, either at the beginning or at the end of it, which it'll be a separate course. But uh, you're welcome to take one or both, and. Uh, <clears throat> And the same thing with that. If you're going to come to that, be sure and let me know well in advance so that uh, we can get uh, get you locked into the course. And uh, and I want to thank you. It was great, certainly great seeing you, JB and DW, and the rest of your crew from Alabama. Uh, I was expecting maybe some of them to call in tonight, but uh, be sure and tell uh, Joshua and Caleb and uh, Daniel that I said hey, and DW too. And, we'll uh, do it, yeah. And then uh, everybody had a blast. It was a great time. We learned a lot. All right, and uh, Jimmy, it was good to uh, to see you face to face and uh, and to be able to shoot with you, brother. And uh, and thank you again for coming and for calling in. And we talked about uh, about maybe running a course in New Mexico sometime uh, this year or. Uh, in this coming year, and Jimmy's going to be talking to folks in New Mexico about uh, about running the uh, precision precision rifle sniper course there in New Mexico. So if uh, if you guys have any interest, be sure and let uh, Jimmy know so that we can make a decision on whether we're going to whether we'll do that or not. I appreciate it, boss. And uh, did you get any mail yet? 
Uh, yes, I think that I did. I haven't. I, I, yeah, I get uh, I get about 150, 200, sometimes 300 emails a day. So yeah, I got some mail. Physical <laughs> mail in the post office. Uh, oh, the post office. Yeah. Not that I know of, unless something came today, or maybe they got it and they put it on my desk. But I don't know if I did yet or not. Okay, there should be a package waiting for you. And John, I just again I want to say thank you for your service and uh, understand a bit more about you from the book. And Mama just called me to dinner, so uh, I'm, I'm going to sit there and slip off to the wings and listen. And, J.B., it was good shooting with you, too. And uh, tell everybody we said hi, and we get together again soon. We'll do it. Good good All to right. meet you. Enjoy shooting with you. Yeah, thank my you, pleasure, Jimmy. Jimmy. You take care of yourself, brother. J.B., thank you, sir. God bless you. Tell D.W. I said hey and uh, and that I love her and miss her and tell the uh, – don't tell the rest of the Alabama, Alabama folks that I love them, but it was nice meeting them. <laughs> we'll do it. <laughs> All right, John, uh, I want to thank you uh, for coming out and teaching the course. And then John's been here with me for the for a few days uh, this last week, and we've been uh, we've been doing some working and some talking. And uh, and now, John, from here, uh, you're always you always got something cooking. You're headed uh, over to Colorado to a six-week guide school, right? Yeah, that's correct. I'm going out to Colorado, and I'm going through a hunting guide school. It's actually three separate two-week courses. Wow. Uh, and it looks like it's going to be perfect weather for you there. Yeah, yeah. they, they just got, a, I think, a 20-inch snowstorm. So. <laughs> All right. Well, JB, thank you. John, thank you, sir, once again. And... Uh, and we will talk to you guys. We'll have you guys on probably uh, in a couple of months again. But uh, I want to thank you guys for coming. And, I want John, I want to thank you for teaching uh, an excellent course. That was my pleasure. Thanks, Battle Road, for having me. All right, guys. Take care. God bless you. Cool. Thank you. All right. Uh, and once again, uh, I've been saying it uh, for the last hour. I'll keep on saying it. Fantastic course, and uh, and a good way for you to put everything together. If you're running a uh, uh, optics and you are uh, and you were you would like to know how to use those optics to the fullest, uh, how to get the most out of them as far as uh, uh, as being able to see through them correctly, and then also how to use your uh, reticle to gauge distance. Uh, I can take my uh, I can take my reticle now. I can put it on a car window. I can put it on a person, and uh, and I can do the math. Uh, I can't do it in my head yet, but I can do the math, and I can tell you how far away they are. Uh, usually, uh, plus or minus uh, between fifteen and thirty yards. Uh, and uh, if that's something that you'd like to do, something you'd like to learn. And be sure and uh, check the uh, the BattleRoadUSA.com uh, website this next week, and uh, there'll be a a, uh, a sign up section there, so you can sign up to get uh, your spot in the class uh, uh, reserved. All right, we're going to switch gears now, and uh, I want to talk to you about, uh, or I want. Some guys that I've got on here. Let me uh, first. I'm going to bring on a caller here that I'm not sure exactly what he wants to talk about, but it's uh, Fisher Dog. 
and wants he wants to talk. Fisher Dog, welcome to the show. Hey Scout, how have you been? Uh, just fine. How about yourself? Oh, uh, doing very well. That uh, class sure sounded like a lot of fun. I'd love to get down there for that one of these days. Well, you're welcome. You're welcome to just check the website, uh, the com website this next week, and we'll have the dates posted and the sign-up button. So, And uh, you are in Alaska, right? That's right, the River, Alaska. We hold the okay. event in Chugiak, which is right next door. I'm right outside of Anchorage. Well, what do you got? Do you give us the news from Alaska, Fisher Dog. Well, we have a, a shoot on the 20th, 21st, uh, sold out for 30 people on the line that we're preparing for and excited about that, mostly first-time attendees, which will be really cool. What's the name of the range that's going to be at? Uh, Birchwood uh, Recreation and Shooting Park. Very beautiful okay, range. That's the, is that, that's, the, that's only the second range that you guys have been using in Alaska, right? Well, it's the, it's the first one. Um, we, uh, we've we had one military seat over on the base, but uh, most all of the events have been there in Chugiak at the Birchwood Range. Oh, okay. And we, okay. Hope, to, we hope to add other venues this year, but uh, Birchwood is kind of home base so far. Yeah, well, you guys are going to have to get moving because uh, the, uh, the 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 good laying on the ground shooting season doesn't last too long there, does it? <laughs> no, and it's not here yet. I was telling Sam, on hold, we've got over 20 inches of snow in the past five days, and it was one degree this morning. It's up to about 20 oh, this afternoon, and the forecast is for uh, weather into the 40s by next week. So I sure hope it comes, or else we're going to have some severe conditions for the line. So. Well, you guys, that, well, the one good thing about it is that uh, and hopefully they ship you a big box of them is the uh, – uh, the extreme conditions apple seed patch. You guys should be uh, a breeze for you guys to get those, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, we've we've come close a couple times. We had uh, events in October that uh, were were very cold. Uh, uh, two years ago, 2011, when Bob uh, 210 was up, well, we had rain in 35, uh, but not a snowflake to make it a winter seed. And then uh, last year, we had uh, in the October event, we had temperatures in the teens. And very high winds, so target backers all going down at once, and rifles going down the line. Quite exciting. <laughs> well, so yeah, extreme weather shoots, we do them. So. Well, it's only uh it's only a few days until the next event, so hopefully it will, uh, you know, warm up a bit, or you guys are going to have to. Uh, about to stomp a path uh, between the shooting line and the target line. Well, unfortunately, that range operates uh, 365 days a year, and, and uh, they have enough equipment out there. They kind of drive over the snow, and it'll be packed down. So we'll we'll be able to use the range. But I, I would suspect we'd have morning temperatures in the 20s and then uh, afternoon temperatures in the 40s. So, so pretty cold, but uh, not as, maybe as extreme as it's been this season if we get back to more Well, good. And you've already got 30 people signed up for it, right? Yeah, we have 30, 30 signed up. Uh, we, we've got an instructor's meeting coming on uh, Saturday to prepare that uh, it's an SKS put together as a uh, shoot boss. So we're going to be ready for them. All right, excellent. Uh, anything else you want to put out? Anything special you guys going to do at the shoot? Well, uh, we, we do have uh, – uh, we'll take part in the nationwide volley at the shoot and commemorate April 19th very closely. 
And uh, I definitely want to put in a plug for the class that you were talking about earlier. We did a KD back in October this year, uh, of last year, rather, and uh, learning to range out to 500 yards with my iron sights and be able to hit a target at that distance with my, my CMP M1 was uh, one of the best experiences of my life. So anybody that's listening is thinking about that. It's worth all the effort. I'll tell you what. Did I lose your scout? Well, folks, it looks like we got a little problem. I guess got got caught off out there. If any of y'all can hear me, pop in on the chat and let me know. Hopefully, uh, Blog Talk hasn't bit us in the butt too bad. Well, we had a little uh, little good call here. I just talked with a gentleman from Wyoming wanting to know why we didn't have more shoots scheduled in his area. And as always, what we have to do is to uh, schedule one ourselves. So remember that people need to know that they can find a range and get a crew in there to shoot. All they have to do is pop up and uh, and try to work it themselves so they can make it go. Ah, see Scout's back. I'll let him get on now. <laughs> well, thank you, Sam. Thanks again. We had a power outage here, and when that happens, the... Uh this is a, a wireless phone system. I still have a landline, but uh, it's a wireless phone system. So if the power goes out, everything shuts down and it disconnects me. Well, as a guy, the guy that called in from Wyoming is, uh, okay, obviously he wasn't an instructor then. He was just uh, a person that wanted to shoot in Wyoming. That's Mark, yeah. You've spoken with him before a couple of times. Okay. Okay, yep. Yeah. And uh, and it, I, believe me, I would love to to go to Wyoming and and do shoots there. Wyoming is absolutely gorgeous. Uh, matter of fact, uh, is he still on there? Is he still on one of the lines? He is still on. He's on uh, oh, about line five. If you want me to bring him up, I'll click him in. Yeah, go go ahead. Bring him up. Hey, Mark, uh, why don't you get in and talk with us for a minute here? Yeah, yeah, go ahead, guys. Hey, Mark. How's yeah. it going? Good to speak with you again. Yeah. No, I was up uh, here in the range in Casper the week, and I seen a bunch of brochures laying in the range in the office, and I says, what's going on here? And no one seemed to know. So that's what I, my question was tonight is if they's planning a shoot up here, and then, then he squared me away on that, Butt Douglas and Pine Bluff and Jack. Uh, and, yeah. Did you... Uh, have have you been to an apple seed before? Oh yeah, yeah, I went to one in in um Minot, North Dakota. Uh, two years ago I guess it is now, yeah. Yeah. Uh well if you can uh I'm gonna try and see what is going on with Wyoming and see if I can't uh figure out some place to get one together there because I haven't been to uh, 
uh, Jackson's Hole in quite a few years. But I sure would like to go back and see what it's see what it's like now. It's a gorgeous. I, I, I think I'd take a couple of days off and run up to that one just to be in that part of the country. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it, I would love to go. Well, let me. I've got. I wrote down your number, and uh, and I'm going to talk to the Wyoming folks, and then see what uh, is going on there with the events. And then if I if I whenever as soon as I catch one, I'll give you a call and let you know where it's at. Yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah, thank you. And yeah, where where do you live in Wyoming? Casper. That's in what Casper. I this okay. gun range up here in Casper, there was a there was a bunch of brochures in the in the office where you check in, and I thought because I've never talked to anybody who knew what an apple seed shoot was up here, and then I seen them brochures, and there was a guy outside helping some young people shoot their rifles, and I grabbed a handful of them brochures and made sure everybody had one. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, great. Uh, yeah. Have you thought about uh, about helping uh, oh, get one with, set with up my, here? With my work schedule and stuff, that that would be a deal. I could plan and plan and plan in the last minute. Just have to drop the ball, you know. I would not be a good candidate for that. I wish I could say I could, but it just I don't think it ever work. Well, no problem, but if when we get another one set up, I'll give you a call and let you know what's going, okay? Oh, yeah. You bet you. I'd, That'd be terrible. Okay, Mark. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you very much for calling in. Betcha. Thanks for your time, sir. Yep. All righty. Take care. You bet. Bye. Okay, and Sam, uh, uh, Law Dog had called in uh, a while ago, and and I don't know if he got dropped or maybe he got tired of of, of waiting. I didn't see how long he'd been waiting. I didn't see the. I couldn't see that that number on the switchboard. It was down a little bit low. Uh, when he calls in again, be sure and uh, I just sent him a message asking him to call back in. When he calls back again, be sure and let me know, and we'll we'll get him uh, get him on because I wanted him to talk about the uh, the upcoming events, the upcoming April nineteenth events. <clears throat> we'll get that for you, Scout. Is there anybody else? Uh, is there anybody else holding that uh, is calling to talk about the? Uh, the upcoming events? No. Everyone else on is just listing. Okay. All right. Let well, Daniel, on here. You... I think we may have Law Dog back. Okay. Daniel, if you were listening or if you can hear, be, uh, be sure and call back in. If I dropped, if you got dropped or or if you just got, uh, uh, if you had to do something else or something, be sure and call back in and we'll get you uh, on as, uh, as soon as you get on. All right? <clears throat> Uh, what I want to give you a quick uh, read on is the the ride by Paul Revere on uh, April 18th, the night before the events on April 19th. The ride by Paul Revere was kept basically basically pretty quiet for a good long time because because we didn't want it. To to sound like we had uh, uh, that that the colonists were 
prepared for this event and they've been planning for it. It didn't that didn't sound quite right. They wanted it to be more like a uh for it to read like a spontaneous uh uprising. So Paul Revere's uh his actions that night and of course also the uh the details on the rest of the folks that he was working with uh had been kept pretty quiet. But Paul Revere was asked himself, this was not uh, uh, not right after the event, but uh, in 1798, he was asked to talk about what he had done, and uh, he wrote a letter to, uh, to Dr. Belknap describing what he'd done that night. Now, once again, this is uh, from... Uh, what, 20, almost 25 years later that he wrote this. But he wrote a, an honest letter about how he, uh, about the events of what he did that night. So let me read this to you real quick. And once again, I'm reading from uh, The Spirit of 76. And this is the actual letter from uh, Paul Revere to Dr. Belknap. In the fall of 1774, in the winter of 1775, I was one of upwards of 30, chiefly mechanics, we formed ourselves into a committee for the purpose of watching the movements of the British soldiers and gaining every intelligence of the movements of the Tories. We held our meetings at the Green Dragon Tavern. We were so careful that our meetings should be kept secret that every time we met, every person swore upon the Bible that they would not discover any of our transactions, but to Messrs. Hancock, Adams, Dr. Warren, Church, and one or two more. In the winter, towards the spring, we frequently took turns two and two to watch the soldiers by patrolling the streets all night. The Saturday night preceding the 19th of April, about 12 o'clock at night, the boats belonging to the transports were all launched and carried under the sterns of the men of war. They had previously hauled up and they had been previously hauled up and repaired. We likewise found that the grenadiers and light infantry were all taken off duty. From these moments, we expected something serious was to be transacted. <clears throat> On Tuesday evening, the 18th, it was observed that a number of soldiers were marching towards the bottom of the common. About 10 o'clock, Dr. Warren sent in great haste for me and begged that I would immediately set off for Lexington where Messrs. Hancock and Adams were, and acquaint them of the movement, and that it was thought they were the objects. When I got to Dr. Warren's house, I found he had sent an express by land to Lexington a Mr. William Dawes. That's the other writer that we haven't heard about, Mr. Dawes. The Sunday before, by desire of Dr. Warren, I had been to Lexington to Messrs. Hancock and Adams, who were at Reverend Mr. Clark's. I returned at night through Charleston. There, I agreed with a Colonel Conant and some other gentlemen that if the British went out by water, we would show two lanterns in the North Church steeple. And uh, I think I explained this to you guys one night, lanterns. Lanterns, uh, that was the name of the the lanterns then. The reason they were called that, they were, it was, it was, cow horn, like a white cow horn, it was shaved paper thin so that the light from the burning wick could cast light to it. They were called lanterns. 
when it's by land, uh, uh, and two if I see. For we were apprehensive it would be difficult to cross the Charles River or get across with or get over the Boston Neck, which indeed was true because they shut off once uh, Doctor, uh, I mean uh, uh, William Dawes, once he had crossed by horse across Boston Neck, he was one of the last folks allowed out of Boston. Once he had crossed across the Neck, it was shut down. Uh, there were no more travel allowed. Uh, I left Dr. Warren, called upon a friend, and desired him to make the signals. And we know that they they did indeed put up the uh, put the lanterns up in the church, and they were seen across the uh, Charles River. And uh, there he had a horse waiting for him. I then went home, took my boots, and searched out, went to the north part of the town where I had kept the boat. Two friends rode me across the Charles River. A little to the eastward, where the Somerset man of war was laying. It was then young flood. The ship was winding, and the moon was rising. They landed me on the Charleston side. When I got into town, I met Colonel Conant and several others. They said they had seen our signals. I told them what was acting, and we went to get me a horse. I got a horse of Deacon Larkin. While the horse was preparing, Richard Devons, Esquire, who was one of the committee of safety, came to me and told me that he came down the road from Lexington after sundown that evening and that he had met ten British officers, all well-mounted and armed, going up the road. I set off on a very good horse. It was then about 11 o'clock and very pleasant. After I had passed, passed Charleston Neck, I saw two men on horseback under a tree. When I got near them, I discovered they were British officers. One tried to get ahead of me, and the other to take me. I turned my horse very quick and galloped toward Charleston Neck, and then pushed for the Medford Road. The one who chased me, endeavoring to cut me off, got into a clay pond near where Mr. Russell's tavern is now built. I got clear of him and went through Medford, over the bridge, and up to Monotomy. Clay Pond is just uh, with a large area uh, of clay, a thick, you know, the, the thick, sticky clay that, that holds water. And the clay is uh, very hard for the water to travel through it. So the areas of clay would hold water, uh, especially in a low area. And I'm sure once the uh, the British uh, the British regular officer horse got into the muck. There's no way he could keep up with Revere's horse uh, on the road. I got clear of him and went through Medford, over the bridge and up to Monotomy. In Medford, I'd wakened the captain of the Minutemen, and after that, I alarmed almost every house till I got to Lexington. I found Messrs. Hancock and Adams at the Reverend Mr. Clark's. I told them my errand and inquired for Mr. Dawes. They said he had not been there. I related the story of the two officers and supposed that he must have been stopped as he ought to have been there before me. Uh, I'm sure you could probably hear the, the dogs here. And I don't know what... Uh, okay. I don't know what the deal is with the one, but I got it quieted down some. We've got some some new pups here in the studio, which is my dining room. Uh, after I had been there uh, this is at Clark's 
After he had been at Clark's for about half an hour, Mr. Dawes came. We refreshed ourselves and set off for Concord. We were overtaken by a young Dr. Prescott, whom we found to be a high son of liberty. I told them of the ten officers that Mr. Devins met and that it was probable we might be stopped before we got to Concord. For I suppose that after night they divided themselves and that two of them had fixed themselves in such passages as were most likely to stop any intelligence going to Concord. Now, you know, most of these paths, and some are still there, uh, because I've, I've explored the area up there around Boston on the trails. Uh, some of the areas, the, the roads, if if you're not on the road, you're not going to be able to do anything. You're, there's either uh, uh, high stone walls on each side uh, or swamps or woods. So if they position themselves uh, at certain areas, uh, at bridges, at areas where the walls were high or that there were swamps on each side, then certainly the two guys could stop somebody who was coming with a horse. They could grab them or chase them down, you know, fairly easily. Uh, I likewise mentioned that we had better alarm all the inhabitants till we got to Concord. The young doctor much approved of it and said he would stop with either of us for the people between there and Concord knew him and would give them more credit to what we said. Remember, Dr. Prescott is a, a local doctor there. Everybody knew him. If you, if you lived in that area, you at some point in your life you went to the doctor, so you knew him. You knew Dr. Prescott. And and if Dr. Prescott said that something was up, then, then that's what was going on. Something was up. We got nearly halfway. Mr. Dawes and the doctor stopped to alarm the people of the house. I was about 100 rods ahead when I saw two men in nearly the same situation as those officers who were near Charleston, the guys that he had run into earlier. I called for the doctor and Mr. Dawes to come up. In an instant, I was surrounded by four. They placed themselves in a straight road that inclined each way, and they'd taken down a, a pair of bars on the north side of the road, and two of them were under a tree in the pasture. The doctor, being foremost, he came up, and we tried to get past them, but they being armed with pistols and swords, they forced us into the pasture. The doctor jumped his horse over a low, stall, low stone wall and got to Concord. So now we know that uh, the Dr. Prescott, he he and his horse jumped over the stone wall and uh, took off. And, and Revere is writing this after the fact. Uh, so he knew that, that uh, Prescott had got to Concord. I observed a wood at a small distance and made for that. When I got there, out started six officers on horseback and ordered me to dismount. One of them, who appeared to have the command, examined me where I came from, what my name was. I told him. He asked me if I was an express, and I answered in the affirmative. He demanded what time I left Boston, and I told him. And I added that their troops had catched the ground in passing the river, and that there would be 500 Americans there in a short time, for I had alarmed the country all the way up. He immediately rode towards those who stopped us when all five of them came down upon a full gallop. One of them, whom afterwards I found to be a Major Mitchell of the 5th Regiment, clapped his pistol to my head, called me by name, told me he was going to ask me some questions, and if I did not give him true answers, he would blow my brains out. He then asked me similar questions to those above. 
then ordered me to mount my horse after searching me for arms. He then ordered them to advance and to lead me in front. When we got to the road, they turned down toward Lexington. When we got about one mile, the major rode up to the officer that was leading me and told him to give me to the sergeant. As soon as he uh, told me, as soon as he took me, the major ordered him, if I attempted to run or anybody insulted them, to blow my brains out. (laughs) We rode till we got near Lexington Meeting House when the militia fired a volley of guns, which appeared to alarm them very much. The major inquired of me how far it was to Cambridge and if there were any other road. After some consultation, the major rode up to the sergeant and asked if his horse was tired. He answered him that he was. He was a sergeant of grenadiers and had a small horse. Then, said he, take that man's horse. I dismounted, and the sergeant mounted my horse when they all rode toward Lexington Meeting House. I went across the bearing ground and some pastures and came to Reverend Mr. Clark's house, where I found Mr. Hancock and Adams. Now, let me just let me stop real quick and just talk about this. He says he went across the bearing ground. Now, one of the things that I mentioned in another book, it mentioned how as he was walking through the bearing ground, through the cemetery, he was wondering what they would think about what he was doing, what 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 the people who had come before him, uh, the people who had already come before him that were buried, he was wondering what they would think about what they were doing and about the death that he owed to those people. <clears throat> not the not that he owed the dead people something, but the death that he owed well, yeah, the death that he owed to the, the people who died, the people who took before him because of the things that they had done to make other Americans' life, uh, other colors' life uh possible. Uh, when he got back to the Reverend Clark's house, he found Messrs. Hancock and Adams. Uh, I told them of my treatment, and they concluded to go from that house towards Woolburn. I went with them, and a Mr. Lowell was a clerk to Mr. Hancock. When we got to the house where they intended to stop, Mr. Lowell and myself returned to Mr. Clark's to find what was going on. When we got there, an elderly man came in. He said he'd just come from the tavern, and a man had come from Boston who said there were no British troops coming. Mr. Lowell and myself went towards the tavern where we met a man on a full gallop who told us troops were coming up by the rocks. We afterwards met another who said they were close by. Mr. Lowell asked me to go to the tavern with him to get a trunk of papers belonging to Mr. Hancock. We went up chamber, and while we were getting the trunk, we saw the British very near upon a full march. We hurried toward Mr. Clark's house, and in our way, we passed through the militia. Now, we're talking about it. They passed uh, through the the, uh, the men who were mustering there on the green. There were about 50. When we had got about 100 yards from the meeting house, the British troops appeared on both sides of the meeting house. In their front was an officer on horseback. They made a short halt when I saw and heard a gun fired which appeared to be a pistol. 
Then I could distinguish two guns and then a continual roar of musketry. Okay. And then a continual roar of musketry when we made off with the trunk. Okay, so he'd already gone he'd already gone up and gotten the papers and then passed through uh the militia that was there mustering there on Lexington and made it uh into past the green into the the wooded area past it when the firing started. All right, this is this is uh a very straightforward letter from Revere and it doesn't include every single thing he did. But uh, but that that encompasses about everything that happened, in, uh, and that is from his own mouth. As I said, they kept it very secretive uh, at first because they didn't want folks to know that that we had a plan to deal with the uh, the British regulars coming out, and uh, but finally in 1798. Uh, they released, he wrote this letter, and they released this story. Uh, all right. Uh, we've got uh, we've got about 10 minutes left, which is not enough time for me to to go through the next section of it. Because what I want to, what I want to read to you, and I'll read it to you uh, this next Thursday, is the, uh, the section that is written uh, by Lieutenant John Barker of the King's Own. And uh, this is a letter that describes the events of April 19th from the side of the British regulars, of a, a lieutenant in the British regulars. And I think that I think it's a very interesting uh, opposite way to look at it. Uh, I will tell you this much what it says. It's entitled... From beginning to end, ill-planned and ill-executed, all right? And that kind of sums up uh, the uh, Lieutenant Parker's thoughts on the operation, which was uh, Gage's plan to have uh, uh, the troops uh, go out to Concord and uh, confiscate the arms and munitions that were Concord, all right? I'll read this, up, read this to you this next week. Uh, the uh, Thursday before the April 20th and 21st shoots. Uh, I was hoping that uh, that Mark, I mean, uh, uh, Daniel would call back in, Law Dog, because I saw him waiting on there, but he he hasn't called back in yet. But let me just uh, tell you again that uh, if if you are an Appleseed instructor, to make sure that you take a look at the uh, the schedule of events and the instructor schedule, and then see if there is anywhere that you can plug yourself in. And uh, if you're a shoot boss, uh, make sure that you're going over the details of the upcoming shoot and making sure you've got everything in place. Uh, make sure that you uh, are going to be plugged into the, uh, the, you understand the details and everything for plugging yourself into the the nationwide volley 
and uh, that you've got that you're doing your last minute promotions now, giving out the word uh, uh, to any folks you might have missed about the upcoming events, and just making sure that your show is ready to go on the uh, 2021 weekend, and uh, and be sure and check and see if anybody needs any help anywhere. If you can uh, plug yourself any into uh, uh, an event somewhere that's short of instructors or anything like that, and certainly be sure and check and see if uh, if any of the events. Uh, I'm not sure that we have any events left that are uncovered, but uh, just be, uh, check the shoot bus board and make sure, and uh, just make sure that your show is uh, is prepped and ready to go for the uh, April 20, 21st weekend. Now I want to add one more thing uh, for Battle Road. Uh, we did an hour at the beginning of the show, and uh, and we told you about the. Precision Rifle Sniper course, and uh, what a great course it was, and that we're going to repeat it again, and uh, and that there will also be a, 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 a combat carving course added to the beginning or end of it. But we're also having another uh, uh, running gun, another uh, end of the world as we know it, zombie destruction running gun on October 12th of this year. And... Uh, and there are still some slots open for folks who would like to uh, attend event uh, attend the event as range officers. That means uh, if you can contact uh, Mark Alonso, uh, Mark uh, at BattleRoadUSA.com, and uh, and let him know that you would like to attend the event as a range officer. That means that you'll come a uh, day early and run the event on Friday, and then uh, you'll pay for your event by helping to uh, uh, run one of the stations on Saturday. Okay? So you'll be able to run the event at no charge. <laughs> and uh, and I'll tell you guys, too, that, uh, that we had a really great event this last, in February on the 23rd, at the running gun, I mean, it was a it was a blast, uh, and everybody that uh, that came to the event had a great time. the The course may be a little bit different uh, this next coming time. It's going to be a lot better. Uh, there's going to be a lot more scenery. There'll be a lot more shooting to do. There'll be uh, more close-in rifle, more maybe some far-off pistol. Uh, there'll be a lot more added in. And this is going to be a this is going to be a shooting event that you're not going to want, going to, want to miss. We're going to have more vendors. Uh, that means you come to the event. And there'll be folks here ready to give you a deal on some gear. A lot of folks walked away with a lot of good gear uh, at this last event. Not just from from getting the stuff uh, from winning stuff from winning the prizes and stuff like that because we had some good sponsors. But some of the vendors here uh, at the last event did a great job of selling gear at at pre-craziness prices. Uh, I know that uh, Roughneck Firearms was selling truckloads of uh, uh, Colt 20-round uh, mags. Uh, I think they were just uh, 20 bucks a piece, and uh, they were selling stacks of them. <clears throat> and the, uh, the guys at Roughneck Firearms 
have done a great job of uh, providing gear and standing behind their sales and stuff. So we'll have uh, we'll have plenty of stuff that we're going to give away as prizes and stuff for the event. We'll also have some really good vendors here. Now, also, if you're a vendor and you would like to uh, to come to the event as a vendor and or come to the event as a vendor or run or something like that, be sure and shoot us an email, too. You can go to the website at battleroadusa.com, and uh, you can either email Mark or myself, uh, either Mark or, or Mike, at battleroadusa.com and let us know uh, that you would like to come as a vendor in order to sell some gear or to show people your gear. Uh, and we're glad to talk to you about that because uh, there were a lot of folks buying stuff at this last event. And the, the run itself is going to be grand. It's uh, probably right at a four-and-a-half-mile uh, looping course. I believe that we're talking about having ten stations this time. Uh, we had seven at the last one. I think we're having either nine or ten at this one and uh, uh, for rifle and pistol. And, uh, and this is a great way to test your gear. You've got a uh, your gear set up on some way that you think you want to carry it, and uh, all you've done is walk around your house or your apartment with your gear on. I'll tell you right now, that's not a way to test it, all right? It's a way to look good, especially if you've got a good folding mirror or something. That's a way to look good in your gear, but it's not a good way to test it. So make sure that uh, if you want to test your gear and find out what your gear feels like, when you got a couple of hundred rounds of uh, pistol rifle ammunition stuck in it and you've got a uh, uh, quart of water or something and, and you want to test how your gear feels like when you have to move four and a half miles and shoot continuously, then this is where you're going to find out about it, all right? So make sure that you, uh, that you contact us. It's going to be October 12, uh, 2013. But make sure you contact us pretty soon. And I believe that uh, the uh, the sign-up is already open at battleroadusa.com. All right, you can check the page there. The sign-ups are already open, so you can go ahead and sign up for the events now. All right, I want to thank everybody for calling in, and I want to thank everybody for listening. And then we'll see you guys again this uh, this next Thursday, all right, 7 p.m. Central, and we'll continue our discussion about uh, the events of April 19, 1775, and we'll do some last minute uh put out last minute information and stuff for the uh, upcoming events all right thanks everybody god bless you and uh, we'll see you this next thursday 7 p.m. central
Dragging who we need You call this liberty 